Oh, so you're a best-selling author? Wow, okay. Well, let me know. What's the name of the book so I can get them? Hey, this is Michelle Spiva, and I want to welcome you to today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. Join me on the flip as we talk about status. I'll see you then. Yesterday, I talked about how to separate who you are from what you do and what you have. And I mentioned a little bit about status. Today, I want to try to explore that a little bit with some of the wisdoms that have come. Now, this is a big topic and we're only going to scratch a small portion of the surface. But my hope is today that you'll go away with a few hmm, where you can investigate and learn a little bit more about this thing we call status. So let's start from the beginning of what I like to do is look at the word itself. Now, the word status means to stand, make, or be firm. And it is derived from the word state or a state, meaning there was ownership. And if we go back and look at that, this whole thing about ownership and standing meant that you had um, achieved a certain amount of honor, loyalty, or trust. Now, if you're this is if you're in feudal England uh, at the time when land was the biggest commodity, and people had wealth based on how much land they had. Okay, so we get it from there. But there's also another. Uh, way of looking at this quote-unquote status. And if you are looking at other uh, empires or religions even, the ability to, to stand or sit or kneel have totally different uh, connotations. So let's take them from a hierarchy of lowest to highest. All right. So the lowest would be to kneel prostrate, meaning not only are you on your knees, but your forehead is touching the ground. So to prostrate yourself before someone is to completely and totally submit to them, to admit that they are your better, they are your alpha or or whatever that may be. Then if you're able to lift your head, but still remain on your knees, That meant that you were a subject, meaning that you were subjugated or you were under their power, their rule, their dominion, uh, their rules, their laws, and that. If you were to, quote unquote, take a knee, that meant that you were a part of their enforcement, meaning their knights, their champions, and you were pledging filth. Filthy, I always say filthy, (laughs) filthy allegiance to them. Now, this taking a knee where you are on bended knee meant that you were saying that I have power, but I choose to give some of that power away or I choose to subjugate my own power to be under you because I appreciate you. Thus, the one knee. All right, so now let's let's get on up from there and let's stand. So to stand meant that you had the rights, the power, and maybe even the backing 
to uphold what you uh, were able to do in this society before a king, a queen, an army, or whatever. Okay? And then the ultimate one was to be able to sit. Now, you're not kneeling. You are actually sitting. And to sit meant that you were seated on a throne that was elevated above the tallest head in there, which meant that not only am I able to show my power, but even in my sitting, I am still the highest one. So that word status meant that you were able to elevate yourself to stand on your own accord in front of the powers that be. The only other highest level was to be able to be seated in what they would call high places or up on an elevated platform, a.k.a. a throne, okay? So that's where some of the um, realms of status come from, all right? So we've got ownership with regards to land, and we've got uh, reputation with an ability to physically stand. That is another reason why back in the day, um, disabilities and uh, infirmities, accidents, amputations, those types of things were counted as such a blow because of how this status was ingrained in society. All right, so now let's move this up a little bit, okay? And I've talked about back in historical times on up to, you know, recent like dark ages um, times. Let's talk about the 20th century and how uh, status morphed in, the, in, in that era. Now, I've talked a lot about Edward Bernays and his... Um, way that he helped the world change by, I don't even want to call, I don't want to call it propaganda. I don't even want to call it PR because what it was, it's, it was dark psychology. Let's just call it what it is. He had an ability to, un, uh, to, to move lo- lots of people. He had an ability to clump people down together and to get them to do what he willed based on his ability to manipulate people in a cultural setting. Um, There are different ways we think when we are individual and when we are together. So an individual would never think about picking up something uh, and a projectile and throwing it through a window. But if you put that same individual in a group add some fire, some heat, some aggravation, and add others doing it. And the um, percentage of probability that that person, that same person will do that act goes up exponentially. And he knew that, that there was a difference between groupthink and group behavior or psychology as in, from individual psychology. And so because of that, he started to look into ways to help his clients, which were companies. And because of that, these companies would come to him because they needed to and wanted to sell things and to keep their profits going and to play the infinite game of keeping it going, uh, keeping their profits coming for as long as possible. Okay. So what he did was with his leading others took this on, there started to become new words. Now, I've talked about 
how words change and build new reality. When you put new word groups together, they create a new reality of existence. And I think I gave the example of ego. And when you put ego and trip together, you now have a totally different reality that didn't exist before when you only had ego or you had trip. But when you put ego trip together, it now takes on a new dimension that you can explore and do. So that's kind of what happened in the 50s. Now, remember, in the 50s, this is maybe a decade, the mid-50s, this is maybe a decade out from the Second World War ending. And now we have had time for industries both in Europe and in the Americas to really take off. And you have this industrious, these industrious nations. You've got a little bit more peace Um and it's still fresh enough for the for the the forces who did not win to have to I hate to say it but obey the treaties and things thus allowing the countries that quote unquote did win to flourish and grow and make them dependent on the production of things that they got um that they made after this time so now you have these words coming Uh, to pass. In 1955, the words status symbol came to pass. In 1956, status seeker came to pass. And then by only four short years later, the words status anxiety came to pass in 1959. So let's look at that. So we originally had status and we knew it as to be land owning. Uh, it was actually kind of like official for how the government looked at you. What was your marital status? What was your homeowner or land ownership status? What was your political status? So prior to this time, status was simply a state of being where you either were this or that or that. It wasn't where it was a fluidity of you being able to change or have gradients of it. Not until 1955, where we had the status symbol introduced. Now, I'm giving you this history because I want to talk a little bit more about where we find ourselves today in just a minute. So please bear with me because I promise the wisdom smack is coming. So status symbol, 1955. And that is where they start picking people. And this is actually where the explosion, the highest peak of celebrity stardom in the fairy tale world that it existed comes to be. Now, you had superstars and all of those things back in the turn of the century of 1900. But now we've got 50 plus years of these people who are on screen um, portraying uh, lives that we want to live and hawking soap powders and uh, dishwashing liquids and even lipsticks and suits and cigarettes. But now in the 1950s, when there is more discretionable income, they have now become status symbols. Now, the difference between your status, your standing, and a status symbol was that not only did you have standing, but if you are a status symbol, in and of that moniker, that title, you now had influence and power. 
you now had an ability to affect people. People wanted to do what the celebrities did. They didn't care what the most powerful did, you know, the bankers, they don't, they didn't, uh, and the insurance people and, you know, the business folks, they didn't care about that. They cared about the status symbols. And thus you started to have a new currency where people flocked to what the celebrities and the, and the notables were doing because they now had this power and these people could start to emulate them. So then the next year, status seeker becomes part of our lexicon of words. And that meant that now people are like, ah, I can now become this status symbol. I can seek this. And thus you have an explosion in the arts and uh, in uh, some of the, the great works of literature. You know, people like Hemingway and all of these folks are, are now starting to get notoriety. They're starting to quote unquote hold court uh, in certain artistic uh, places. Um, they are the, the, cool kids, the universal cool kids. You you now have periphery people who are making their living off of doing nothing but watching what the status symbols do. Uh, Hedda, I think her name was Hedda, Hedda Headley, uh, was famous uh, for her gossip columns and being able to control the narrative. We're going to talk about that in another podcast, control the narrative of what these status symbols did. I mean, it got to the point where sometimes she could predict or cause the rise or the downfall of your status based on how she did that. And so you ended up having these weird relationships to keep, uh, the gossipers happy. Then by this time you got 19, 59, just shy of 60 years from when uh, talking pictures and now in Technicolor have been around. Not very long, but you now have status anxiety. Okay. So now 1959, we start with status anxiety. And I hate to say it, but there's nothing new under the sun. We still have status symbols, status secrets, status anxiety. Okay, and now we are currently about 60 years past that, give or take a year or two uh, past that. Okay, and we're still there. So, status. I talked yesterday about uh, Perry Belcher's saying, he's an internet uh, marketer, and he said to marketers, whenever you approach someone to offer your service, your goods, or whatever, they are, they are doing uh, one of two things, they are, but they are all related to status. They are checking to see if your stat, if what you're offering them is going to increase their status or decrease it. I've gone on to say that that holds true for anyone, whether you're buying something or not. When they meet you, they're trying to figure out if an association with you is going to help or hinder their status. We used to call it networking and all that kind of stuff, but now we know that it is part of society where there is status. And with status brings power, it brings reputation, accolades, and it brings a host of other little goodies that people clamor for and that it's like the finest drug to your ego, no matter who you are, okay? So 
with that, there becomes this hierarchy and these rankings that people start to fall into. And it's even said that if you want to understand status, understand the pecking order of chickens. (laughs) Yes, there is a real quote unquote pecking order of chickens. Now, real quick, chickens have this top down hierarchy. The bigger and more aggressive chickens bully their way to the top and they do it by pushing their chest out, flaring their ruffles, uh, uh, the f- ruffles, their, uh, flaring or ruffling their feathers, um, making a ruckus, squawking and all this kind of stuff. And if that doesn't work, then they take to just full out pecking where it can be fatal. And if, you know, if especially if, if the challenger is stronger than the challengee, it can be real fatal. And they talk about how this ability to put themselves in these hierarchies tend to work for their societies. There's this golden number of 10 to 12 chickens to have if you're going to have a healthy um, chicken society or niche or harem even. Uh, and, and so they talk about how these uh, pecking orders happen. Now, with much, <laughs> uh, with much power comes responsibility, aka Backman. But they've even gone on to say that uh, with the the hens, if it's a hen that is at the top spot, usually it will be like a rooster because they're just crazy aggressive. But um, if it's a hen, then the hen takes on the the top spot where you would think that the hen would make everyone, uh, you know, stay back while they eat first. Because by by default, usually this high pecking order means that they're the best at finding food. And like I said, they use their, their size and their aggress- aggressiveness to go out and to, to find things. Uh, but a good uh, high top tier hen is going to understand that you need to um, take care of the flock. And so a lot of times they will find the food and allow their betas all the way down to their omegas to eat first, and then they will eat. Now this does a lot. And uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the health of their society, because they get loyalty so that if anybody else is trying to come up out of the ranks and take from them, you know, they will probably have a lot of help if they've been good to everybody else. And this upstart hasn't proven that they're going to be loyal to anyone. Now, this is chickens we're talking about. These are the birds that everybody says are dumb. And yet and still, they understand this natural ordering. Now, I am not Don't get me wrong. I am not saying that this is how it's supposed to be. I am not lauding it. I am just talking about it as a crude representation of what happens a lot of times when you have status. Okay. Now, let's go back to the human beings. All right. There are many ways that people uh, seek to achieve status symbol level um, living. One of the ways is through accumulation. He or she who has the most crap wins. (laughs) Yeah. So there are some people who, when they are interacting with us, they believe that the most, uh, that the more you have, the higher your status. And unfortunately, they're not 
how they're not most they're not wrong. If you if you ever want to see how someone equates getting to top status, look at the stuff. Now, you'll find a lot of people collect things. Sometimes these things are for status and sometimes they're not. Sometimes there's just a love for it. Think about people who collect baseball cards. You know, they collect them because they really like them. Only so rarely do you have someone who is collecting only the top cards for investment. And those people are naturally just going to be all around investors for the sake of collecting these things to get more money. Okay. So then, so when I talk about accumulation, I talk about accumulation of aspirational things. All right. And so that brings me into aspirational things. So you remember when I talked about being able to stand uh, before someone and that standing elevation meant that you stood above everybody else, but it also meant that you brought more to the table. And a, a, a way that people do this is by having what we would call aspirational or luxury items that everybody else cannot attain because that is a clear way of showing um, the powers that be that you stand heads above the rest. Now, let's talk about something that people don't really uh, think about as much, but there is a status that most people, most people, if you live in a single home or even a duplex, uh, but you live in a, a home dwelling that sits on the ground and um, it ha- you, you you have that. There is this status symbol that people have, and a lot of times they don't even know why they're doing it, and that is a front lawn. And you'll go and like a townhouse or something, and you'll look at their 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 townhouse, and even if it's only a few feet few feet wide, there's still a little lawn there where there's some grass growing up, and that came from these times back long when when. To be able to have enough money to sustain a lawn that did not go towards uh, a garden to feed people meant that that was an outward show that you had uh, the funds and the ability to be so uh, far better than everybody else that you could just have land look pretty. You see, back in the old days, land was made to work. Land had a job just like everybody else. Land was not wasted because it was a finite um, amount of it. And for someone to have a front lawn that only grew grass and you tried to make the grass look so pretty, please. Have you ever wondered why uh, the great, the big monarchs of of Europe and and, um, uh, across the world always have these palatial lawns and gardens that was meant to show to their would-be adversaries or people trying to come in that not only uh, do I have the station, but I have the monies and the power and the labor to keep it up. So basically, don't come for me. You see my palace, you see my grounds. And, and, and so we took that and now everybody believes you have to have a lawn, but they don't understand that the lawn was the biggest aspirational symbol for many years. It was to show people my, your status. It was to show people even that you have had prowess. Think about it. When you go into quote unquote uh, higher income neighborhoods, 
think about the lawns and think about the fact that most of those people are not out there doing their own lawns. Oh, they want you to see the landscapers out there because it's a throwback to that status time. You know, so we have accumulation and we have aspiration. So now, and we've talked about the pecking order. So now let's talk about uh, when it, when it, when it doesn't go well for you. Okay. So there is this, uh, famous quote, um, said to be by Lyndon B. Johnson, who was a former president of the United States. And he talked about people's love for status and how, and quote unquote, why, uh, people are willing to, to, do things or allow you to do things based on um, this love for status. And it was, it was kind of hard to read, but hey, this is actually what was going on at the time. Now I'm going to just, I'm not going to say it for, you know, full out because to me it's a little, it's a little offensive, but he, 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 he said that if you are, if you, if you want to get the support of um, the everyday man, okay? Uh, he said that if you if you want to get the votes and get get the grassroots, uh, if you will, behind you, you will tell them that they are better than this other set of people, and you can pick pick their pockets. Heck, they'll be so happy to know that they have status above someone that. They'll give you everything on their own. Now, I, I know I messed that up <laughs> and it is really because I really just don't want to just read it because it's so crude and it's from another time. And it's quite offensive, to be honest with you. Um, but he was he was appealing to people's need for status. And he was saying that there were a lot of people out there who had given up hope. And when I'm saying people, I'm talking about racial matters. He said there were a lot of people that were giving up hope and not coming to the polls. And he was, he basically, you know, said, if you want to get those votes, you'll appeal to that. And that was so strong because, like I said, there's nothing new under the sun. And also, it showed how powerful this pecking order is that people will grasp at anything to be above someone. Now, I haven't talked about caste systems in in, um, different cultures and societies because we don't have time for that. But I do want to give you a uh, wisdom smack about this whole status situation. All right, because I know I've been talking a little bit about the histories and and all of these 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 things that denote that someone is looking for strategies and all this kind of stuff. Right. OK, so let's get down to it. So say, for instance, you're like, Michelle, I'm tired of being on um, prostrate, you know, the lowest level. And I, I really want to have a better um standard of living. Because let's be honest, when you're down at that level, your standard of living is highly affected too. It's not just about showcasing wealth or um, stroking an ego. This is about survival. So if you're in, if you're in that, that thing, we need to first of all, deal with some necessary questions that you need to ask yourself. And those questions are, are you willing and able to do what it takes to move yourself up out of your current uh, station or your current pecking order? Are you willing to take on? Now, this is not about a zero sum where somebody loses and somebody gains. No, this is about 
you doing what you need to, to change what you can in your life. And I'm going to say one of the fastest ways to do that is by looking for leverage. And leverage is not a bad thing. It is just simply using the power of others or other sources to help you uh, exponentially or quickly move uh, from where you are to another thing. So you can look at that by a few ways. You can look at it by looking and seeing, is there any kind of way for you to to get people in your corner, maybe get them uh, word of mouth uh, to do this? You can become an artisan or something by doing work with your hands where you become uh, a professional and you get word of mouth people telling others about your, your wares, your services or whatever. Or you can have it where you look at distribution models. Uh, There is a big thing now called OPP, Other People's Platforms. And it's big because the platforms are not the traditional ones of the huge uh, mega movers. No, you can use other people's platforms to uh, launch yourself into a higher status if you're especially at the bottom. And that could be by entertainment, by usefulness, and by uh, being able to uh, provide something. Then there is uh, movements and uh, movements are where you find like-minded people going in a direction that you want to go in and you join with them and thus you are stronger as a group than you are as an individual. Now, the last thing I want to leave you with because my time is really up, you guys. The last thing I want to leave you with with regards to status is that no matter what you do, always remember that you can always have a second wind strategy. And that second wind strategy always has to do with self-awareness. Always remember who you are, what you are, and where you ought to be. And that is going to help you with your status. So guess what? Yep, the time is up. You know it. Support us, like us. Use our Amazon link at michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. And that's going to do it for me. I'm going to see you tomorrow. And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for Amazon. So when you want to go to Amazon and you do all of your general shopping, Uh, please use michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. It's simple as that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And this show might receive a little bit of commission that will go towards helping to further get these episodes out to you and to others. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. Bye.